This is really, really, really one of my most favorite. The Word of God effectually worketh also in you that believe. See, here's what I found out over the years. Too many Christians are living their lives from trial to trial, defeat to defeat, failure to failure. When the Bible clearly says we should be living from faith to faith and from glory to glory. That's the way the Christian life ought to be lived. In other words, it's going to take faith for us to achieve, achieve what God told us to do. Faith only works by love. So if we're, if we're obeying the Word of God, believing what He said, loving God, loving people, things ought to happen. The Word must have final authority. Now the word for, work, for faith in the Scripture is the Greek word pistis, and that word actually means to be sold out on something or to give absolute credence to a thing. Jesus in Mark 11, and I, I'm not going to go into all the detail of this, but the King James translates it to have faith in God, but literally, literally the word says have faith of God. Jesus was telling men to have the kind of faith that God has, and the kind of faith that God has is the kind of faith that comes from God's word. I'll just give you a little, tell you why I think that. It's because in the original Greek language, when he says have faith in God, if it was in God, it would say E-N-T-H-E-O-S, entheos. But it's, that's not what it says. In the Greek it says theou, T-H-E-O-U, which is of God. It's a possessive word. And so Jesus said have God's faith is what he was telling us. If we're going to have God's faith, we're going to have to have God's word from which his faith comes. All right? Most failures in the Christian life are faith failures that produce prayer failures that produce all kinds of other failures because we need to have we need to believe and be sold out on what God is saying. Many of those failures come because people are simply ignorant of what God says. All right now, in John chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus is the word. The word is Jesus. Jesus has the final say in the affairs of anyone who makes him lord. That means controller or boss. So the word must be our boss. Amen. Oh, I've got to get down here to something I've got to get to this morning. God cannot be our co-pilot. He must be the pilot. <laughs> he has to be the one in charge. He has to be the one in control. And so, having said that, let me just read you what I got from this. It's called Pilot's Wisdom. This is what a group of pilots had to say. This was their wisdom. They said, every takeoff is not optional. I'm sorry. Every takeoff is optional. Every landing is mandatory. They said, flying isn't dangerous. Crashing is what's dangerous. It's, uh, one, one pilot said, the only time you have too much fuel is when you're on fire. <laughs> one pilot said, I like this one, when in doubt, hold on to your altitude. No one has ever collided with the sky. One said, a good landing is, is one from which you can walk away. A great landing is one after which they can use the plane again. One pilot said, stay out of the clouds. The silver lining everyone keeps talking about might be another airplane going in the opposite direction. Uh, this, one's, this, this is a lot of wisdom in this one. It says, always try to keep the number of landings you make equal with the number of takeoffs you've made. It says there are three simple rules for making a smooth landing. Unfortunately, no one knows what they are. If you've flown very much, you know that's true to a great degree. Uh, one guy says helicopters can't fly. They're just so ugly the earth repels them. Another guy says if all you can see out the window is ground and that's going round and round and all you can hear is commotion coming from the passenger compartment, things are not as they should be. 
in the ongoing battle between objects made of aluminum going hundreds of miles per hour and the ground going zero miles per hour, the ground has yet to lose. It's always a good idea to keep the pointy end going forward as much as possible. <laughs> it says there are old pilots, there are bold pilots, but there are never no old bold pilots. And then this one says, remember, gravity is not just a good idea, it's the law, and it's not subject to repeal. The fact is, this morning, this book is the law. It's not subject to repeal. God isn't going to change his mind in this, what he said in this book. The Bible declares that God will not change. The word will not change. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will never pass away. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. I really want you to, to really key into this. I, I just sense there's an anointing on what the Lord wants to say to us this morning. And so I want you to really, I sense that every week, but this morning, man, there's just something about what's getting ready to be said, and I don't know what it is yet. We'll find out. John chapter 14, down in verse 15 is where we'll start. We read this last week. John 14, verse 15. Jesus is speaking here. Then in a minute, we're going to go back to Mark chapter 8. But John 14, verse 15 Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And then down in verse 21, he said, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Now, we began talking last week about how that we want a manifestation of Jesus. We want a manifestation of His glory. I mean, we, 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 the manifestation from what we just read comes from loving Him. Loving Him is demonstrated as we do what He said, as we obey what He said, as we walk into that. So we saw last week what loving Jesus looks like. Loving Jesus looks like keeping the Word. When we keep the word, we demonstrate the fact that we love Jesus. Loving Jesus is not just saying, I love you, Jesus. Loving Jesus is obeying the word. Amen. This is good so far, huh? We, if we love him, we will do what he said. That's what he said. He said we will keep. The word keep here is, means to guard, to observe, to keep the eyes upon. If we love Jesus, then we will guard the word. We will observe the Word. We will keep our eyes upon the Word. Loving Jesus is not just in words, but observing Him. When we say, I observe a certain holiday, what we're saying is, I participate in that holiday. I observe, uh, we observe the Passover. We did that the other night. We observe the Passover. When we observe the Passover, that means we participated in the Passover. When we observe the Word, that means we participate with what the Word says. Our demonstration of loving Jesus is observing the Word. Now, Jesus said there in verse 21 that we have to have the Word and keep the Word. Okay, the word, the word have here means to have, to hold, to own, or to possess. Now, this is all from last week, but we can have, hold, own, or possess. If we have the Word, we own it. We possess it. We hold it. Okay, so we, he said you've got to have the Word so that you can keep the Word. You must own it or possess it in order to keep it. And we looked at John chapter 2 last week when Mary said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. And when they did what he said, the result was that his glory was made manifest. And we read that last week. All right, so we can see here 
that His manifestation comes, the manifestation comes when we obey what He says and when we do the Word, His glory is made manifest. That's pretty fun. I like that. That's pretty easy. I like it when it's easy to understand. How about you? It's not that complicated if we just take the Word for what it says. In other words, we must become doers of the Word and not hearers only. We said last week that hearing and knowing is not doing necessarily. Just because you know what the Bible says doesn't mean you're doing what the Bible says. And in today's modern charismatic churches, people think because they know about healing or they know about walking by faith or they know about certain things, they think that means they're doing what it says because they believe in it. But believing in it is not the same as doing it. I mean, you could read a book on scuba diving and you can believe and you can know that it takes a mask over your face. And it takes a tank on your, on your back to be able to breathe oxygen while you're under the water. But that doesn't mean you can do it. You can know all the rules about playing soccer, but that doesn't mean you can kick a ball straight. I mean, you can know a lot of stuff, but it takes doing it. And I tell you, when you do things, then you get a different revelation than you did when you just knew about it. You can know it's the will of God to pray for the sick. You can know it, but when you lay your hands on them and you pray for them, all of a sudden it takes on a different dimension. Okay, so knowing the Word is vital. I mean, you've got to know it before you can do it. But you've got to do it before you get the manifestation. I can know and know and know and know that it, when I tithe, that that's the only time I can prove God, and I can know it and know it and know it, but until I tithe, I can't prove it. That's when the revelation comes to me, when I, when I do what the Word of God says. So, I, I find it interesting. Sometimes people come, they get prayed for, they fall on the ground. Oh, man, they just bask in the glory. But listen, that's wonderful, and I want that, of course. I like that really, really much. But it's not so much how many fall, but how straight they walk after they get up. It's walking with God. It's seeing the fruit of the Word being made manifest in us. We need to see the Word done in our lives. Now, that's kind of review, but let's go back over here to Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. I want you to see something very interesting. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. We're going to go down in verse 31 of Mark, chapter 8. Look at this. Now, I'm sure you've read this before, but we may bring a whole new light to it this morning. Now, Jesus has just asked them who they say he is, and they say you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. In fact, it was Peter that had this revelation from heaven. And then down in verse 31 of Mark chapter 8, Jesus, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of God must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now, you've got to be some kind of stupid to rebuke Jesus. I'm not saying he was stupid, but at that moment he was way stupid. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he, being Jesus, rebuked Peter. No kidding. Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Now... <laughs> This is an interesting passage of Scripture to me. I mean, Jesus is, he's plainly telling them what's getting ready to happen. The Amplified Bible says, and he said this freely, frankly, plainly, explicitly, making it unmistakable. And yet Peter hears the word, didn't like the word, and begins to rebuke Jesus. Man, I mean, I've, I've done some dumb things. 
and I probably have done something that dumb. I'm sure I have, but not not that knowingly. I mean, he just out and out said, "No, Jesus, you, sir, are wrong. You, this cannot be correct." I mean, some things to me just seem too stupid to do. Yet now, I want you to notice something. We need to recognize that any time we disregard the word of God, we are rebuking what Jesus just said. Anytime we in our, in our own saying would say something like this, well, I know what the Bible says, but you just said, I rebuke you, Jesus. That was hard to say, huh? Jesus, I just rebuke that thought. To speak anything that is the contradiction to the word is to allow Satan to speak through you. That's sobering, isn't it? Because here he is, he speaks contradictory to the word that Jesus has just said by rebuking Jesus in that process. And Jesus said, Satan, I want to be called beloved. I want to be called brother of Jesus. I want to be called accepted. I do not want to be called Satan. I want Jesus to say, well done. I don't want him to say, shut up, Satan. I mean, you know, that's what's going on here, right? I mean, can you see that happening? Here, Peter, here's the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. Everything Jesus says is the Word. And he's saying the Word of God. And so when he speaks in contradiction to the Word, Jesus aligns that with Satan. To consider the Word to be wrong or to think there's a better way than the Word is to agree with Satan and to rebuke Jesus. Y'all can smile. It's It's going to get good before we go further. So we got to recognize that. Now it's interesting, Jesus in the King James, I like the King James, it says, Thou savorest not the things that be of God. Savorest, the word savorest here means to exercise the mind, to entertain or have a sentiment or to have an opinion. Oh, I like that. He says, you don't have an opinion that agrees with God. Your opinion does not agree with God's opinion. Anytime your word doesn't agree with, anytime your opinion doesn't agree with the word of God, doesn't agree with God. All right, the word here means to have an understanding, to be wise, to direct one's mind to a thing, to feel. But here's what it literally means to think. Jesus is saying to Peter, He's saying, Peter, He says, I rebuke you, Satan. He's saying, Peter, you are not thinking like God. You are thinking like men. Now that tells me it's the will of God for us not to think like men, but to think like God. Ooh, man, here, here's where a lot of religious people get bothered. They don't like it when you start talking about, well, we can't think like God. No, no, no. We're going to talk about this in just a minute. Thinking like a man or thinking like men is thinking according to the world's system that contradicts the Word of God. Thinking like God is thinking like the kingdom of God from the Word of God, learning to transform thoughts that agree with what God said. See, Jesus is saying, Peter, he's saying, he's saying he, he rebuked him. He said, Peter, he said, he said, get behind me, Satan, because you're not thinking like God, but you're thinking like man. Now, people get all messed up and they say, yeah, but, but we, we, can't, we can't think like God because the Bible says his thoughts or above our thoughts. Okay, let me ask you an important question before I even look at this verse of Scripture. Are you saved? Yes, I am the redeemed. Okay, well, let's look at Isaiah 55 because that's where that verse, that's where they get those thinking, those thoughts from. Isaiah verse 55, chapter 55. 
I think we're going to start down like verse 6, if I remember correctly. Isaiah 55, verse 6. I like this. Look what it says. Isaiah 55, verse 6. This is a great chapter of the whole thing, but we won't read the whole thing. It says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. In other words, you've got to seek him while... You can't find him just any old place. Is what he's saying here. You can't just... You can't just... Oh, the Lord is everywhere. Well, can I just tell you something? He's probably not at the strip club today. Well, but he's everywhere. His presence is not everywhere. He can get in there if he wants to, but you don't want him going. I mean, you want his mercy, not, his, not, not, not what needs to happen there. Now look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, what is talking about seeking the Lord. It's talking about finding the Lord. He's talking about forsaking a way that doesn't please God. And he's talking about forsaking a thought that isn't God's thought. He's not talking, though, to the righteous. He's talking here to the unrighteous. He's telling the unrighteous, the wicked, to forsake the way they act, and the unrighteous to change the way they think. But here's the bottom line. He said you can change the way you think. And notice if you change the way you're thinking, then you can have then God has mercy on you and you can be pardoned and you're going to be able to find the Lord. You're never going to find God thinking thoughts that are contradictory to his word. He just said, he just Jesus told Peter, he said you're not thinking like God. Then God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it to bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void. Who's he talking to? He's talking to people who are changing their ways and changing their thoughts. He's saying, my word comes out of my mouth. It won't return to me void. If it returns to him, it won't be void. It, re- it comes by him speaking it. It returns by us speaking it. And the only way it can go that way is when we learn how to say what he said. Say it back to him. Look what he says. It will, it will accomplish the thing which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Now, here's what people think. And there are some instances where this will be true. Where whatever God said, that has to come to pass. But whatever He said about your life does not have to come to pass because you have a free will. There is a day when Jesus will return whether you believe it or not, whether you confess it or not, and all that stuff. There is a day when the Antichrist will rise up whether you believe it and confess it or not. But for your personal life, the only way the Word of God can return to Him is when you learn how to say it based on thoughts that you have cast those aside and begin to take the thought of His Word because that's what returns to Him. See, many Christians are thinking, well, que sera, sera, if it's the will of God, it just must be the will of God. It is the will of God, but that doesn't mean it happens. Jeremiah 33, verse... Uh, Jeremiah, I mean, sorry, Lamentations 3 verse 33 says that, that God has to do things against His will. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. And yet people do. 
Just because it's the will of God doesn't mean it happens. The only way the word happens is when God speaks it, we put it in our thought life, put it in our mouth, because whatever you're thinking of is going to come out of your mouth, and it comes out, and it returns to God, and now it can produce the will of God in your life. Isn't that good to know? I like how it goes on. It says, for you'll go out with joy. You'll be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break, up, break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. How's that going to happen? When you've forsaken old faults that don't agree with the Word of God, and you begin to think in terms with the Word of God. What does the Bible say? Well, that's what I'm going to trust in Him. I'm going to believe what He says. And when I'm thinking the Word, and I put the thought of the Word, I'm going to tell you how to do this more as we go along here. As I take the thought of the Word and replace it, replace that, the old thoughts with that, now, now the mountains can break up. Now that stuff can happen. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The sign is when you forsake your thoughts and allow the Word of God to be the thing that comes into your mind and come out of your mind. See, certain thoughts can and should be forsaken for the way of life to be full, to be, have, have joy and peace then thinking like the world must be forsaken and thinking the thoughts of God must be intentionally done to train yourself to wait and to think. Whoo, man. See, His Word comes to us. We then return it to Him. Now, so Jesus said that if we're going to have, we're going to have to have the Word to keep the Word if we love Him and we're going to see manifestation. The only way we're going to possess and own the Word is to begin to think in accordance with what it says. You've got to possess it. You've got to own it. The Word must become yours. The Word must live inside of you. Jesus called it a living Word. He said it must abide in you. It must live in you. If you live in Him and His Word abides or lives in you, then you, whatever you ask, you can have. But it's taking the Word, making the Word come into your life. Ooh, I'm liking this so far. I want a manifestation of His presence. The only way we can begin to think in accordance with the Word is to renew our minds with it. Got to renew the mind. That, that's, that's very important. The only way we're going to do the Word on a consistent basis is to renew our mind. I hope you all are with me here. This, this is good, I think. See, when you begin talking like this, it makes religious people very angry. Oh, you can't think like God. Well, I beg to differ. The Bible says we're to forsake those other thoughts. The Bible talks about the mind and renewing the mind. So let's talk about that. I don't know how far we're going to get today, but this is, this is vital. This, this may be one of the most vital messages the church can ever receive. We've got to know how to think. We've got to know how to think. Now, first of all, the very basic reality is, is that your, your mind is not your brain. A lot of Christians are of the opinion that when you talk about the mind, you're talking about the brain. But your mind is not your brain. Now this verse of Scripture is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. The, the Apostle Paul said, And the very glory, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to understand something. Man is a triune being. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. Now notice it doesn't say your body, soul, and spirit. You are spirit, soul, and body. You are primarily spirit. 
that has a soul that lives in a body. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit in the Garden of Eden, you remember the story? They ate of the fruit. And the Lord said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. In the day you eat, you will die. Adam and Eve, they just, well, you know, the Satan said, you won't surely die. They said, well, maybe we'll be smart if we'll eat it. They weren't smart. They got dumb. But they ate of that fruit. And in the day they ate of it, they did not die physically, did they? You can find that Adam lived to be 900-something years old. I mean, they lived a long, long time after they ate the fruit. That's because the word, that's because the word death in both the Greek and the Hebrew languages doesn't mean annihilation. It means separation. The day they ate of the fruit, they were separated from God. They were separated from the plan of God. They were separated from what God wanted to do in them. And on that day, they did not die physically, but they died spiritually. Because man is a spirit. And the worst place to die is spiritually. The worst place to be separated from God is spiritually. When you die physically, the reason we call it death is because your spirit and your soul are separated from your body. Now, just because you die physically doesn't mean that you don't think anymore. A lot of people have don't understand that. See, the soul is made up the the soul part of us is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotion. All right. Just because the body dies doesn't mean that the the mind dies. Even though the brain is dead, doesn't mean the the the, the mind is dead. For example, Jesus told the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Do you remember that story? Lazarus, you know, was the beggar and he laid at his gate and all that stuff. And then when Lazarus died, he went into what was called the bosom of Abraham. The rich man died. Y'all remember where he went? He went to hell. From hell. Now this is interesting. From hell, he looked up and saw Abraham. And he cried out to Abraham. And he said, Father Abraham, send La let, let, let Lazarus baptize. We talked about that last week. Baptize his finger and give me a drop of it. Dip his finger and give me a drop. And, Ab and Abraham said, no, no, he can't do it. There's this gulf fixed here. He can't come to you. You can't come to us. He said, well, then tell him to go to my, to my father's house. And he said, no, he's not going to do that. They don't believe the prophets. and They don't believe uh, uh, Moses. They're not going to believe him either. Believe, believe somebody who rose from the dead. Now, here's what I want you to get from that. Jesus didn't say this was a made-up story. He said there was a man. His name was Lazarus. There was a rich man. From hell now, the rich man saw Abraham... From hell. Now, that's interesting. His body is in a grave. His body has worms or something, I'm guessing by now. Surely he stinketh. But from the grave, he can see into the bosom of Abraham. Or from hell, he can see into the bosom of Abraham. And from, from, from hell, he can speak. How can he speak without a mouth? Because in the Spirit, you don't have to have a mouth to speak. I had a conversation with the Holy Ghost one time that I'll tell you about one of these days. And I mean, he spoke to me clearly and plainly and never moved his mouth. Because he spoke from the Spirit to my spirit. And I heard it very distinctly. I knew exactly what he was saying. I knew what was going on the whole time. But he spoke by the Spirit. When, we're, when our spirit being is separated from our body, it will not cease to see and it will not cease to speak. And you can't see and speak unless you have a mind. He's thinking some thoughts here. He has this thought that says, you know what? Number one, I'd like some water. Number two, I'd like for somebody to help my family. And notice Abraham. He's dead too. Been dead longer than the rich man. And from the bosom of Abraham, he sees. He speaks. He thinks. 
after your body dies and your brain is no longer uh, like it is now. I don't know how, how it, whatever happens, turns to dust, I guess. You will still have a mind. And your mind will continue to think thoughts. Either in hell, thinking of the torment that you're going through, thinking of all the awful things that are going on around you, the torture and, 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 and all the fear, or in heaven, thinking how wonderful Jesus is thinking how great the Word of God is. So your mind is not your brain. Isn't that interesting to know? See, we're thinking that, that, that the mind is the brain, but it's not the brain. So, the only way, <laughs> the only way we're going to do this is de to demonstrate this is, is, is to have the mind renewed. Now, that includes the brain, I guess, at this point in time. I'm not sure how that all goes together. But the mind is not the brain. The only way to demonstrate the love of Jesus is to, and to receive His manifestation is to keep the Word, have our mind renewed with His Word. Praise God. The Bible calls God the God of the living and not the dead. Living beings have minds that can continue to think. So that's the first thing you got to know is your mind is not your brain. Now, the only way we're going to keep the Word is to have our minds renewed. I want you to turn with me, of course, to this passage of Scripture in Romans, the 12th chapter. I'm sure you've heard this before, but we must get our mind renewed. We're going to talk about some very practical things today and next week. We're going to talk about the renewing the mind. Because if we're going to keep the Word, if we're going to have a manifestation of Jesus, we must, keep the, we must have the mind renewed. Romans 12, verse 1. The Apostle says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And listen to this. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now I want you to see a couple of things here. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. The word transformed means to change. To change. The, the Greek word is metamorpho. It means to change the mind. He says, be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Change. The Bible says Jesus was transfigured. It's the same word. He was changed so that what was inside of him began to shine through him. It's talking about the change. It's talking about metamorphosis. Is basically, we get the English word metamorphosis from that. It means to change. From the inside out, it means to change. He's saying we must be changed. How can we change? By the renewing of our mind. The word renewing here, the, the better English word would be renovate. By the renovation of our mind. You, the only way to truly change, if you want to change anything in your life, if you want to lose weight, if you want to pray, if you want to read the Bible, whatever changes you want to make in your life, the only way you're going to be successfully changing and continuing in that change is to renovate your mind regarding that thing. As long as your mind stays the same, you're going to go back to doing the same thing. Why is it that people get saved? They get prayed for. We cast out a demon of addiction from them, and that demon leaves and you saw the manifestation of it, but then in two weeks the same thing is back there on them. Why can it come back when we've cast it out? Because they didn't change the way they thought about it. Ooh. 
See, if I think the same way about things, if I don't change my mind, then I'll never change my action because all of my action comes as a result of the things I think and the words that I say. And if the words that I say and the thoughts that I think are in contradiction to the Word of God, then I am speaking the words of the devil. And it's no wonder I can't be free. I'm in agreement with the devil rather than in agreement with the Word of God. Well, I've prayed to be free from this a hundred times, but I just can't get free. That's why you can't get free. Not because of what you said, but because of what you believe. Because you've never changed your thought processes. That's why we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's why we stay with it and stay with it and stay with it because truly until the mind is transformed, we will stay the same. Change begins on the inside and it works its way out of us. Change always begins with the way we think. We must learn how to change the thoughts we think. I've got a spirit and I've got a body. The connector of those two things is my soul which is my mind, my will, and my emotions. If that joint is not properly nurtured, if I don't learn how to think the right way, then my body will, will get all the attention. My soul will starve. I mean, my spirit will starve because I'm not allowing the Word to transform the way I think. Man, he said the only way to be changed is by the renewing or the renovating of your mind. When you renovate a house, you go in there and you take out everything except the load-bearing walls pretty much. And sometimes you take those out and leave poles in their place. You take out everything that is not conducive to the new design that you want to have. You don't leave the old TV in the closet. You take out everything. You change the way that that whole thing looks. You renovate the mind. Now, here's the problem with Christians is people get saved, they even get baptized in the Holy Spirit, but then we don't teach them what the Bible says about their sin, about habits, about, uh, about healing, about all the things that are going on around them, about relationships. They don't learn what the Bible says, and so because they don't change the way they think, they go home acting the way they've always acted, thinking the way they've always thought. They can't get rid of the lust, they can't get rid of the junk, because it's, they still think that way. I just can't get over this. That's why you can't get over it. Because you believe that. Because that's the way you're thinking. Oh, it's so hard. It's not so hard. It's just that it takes some time to change. I mean, just think. You've been thinking the way you think all this time. How much time is it going to take for you to change the way you think? You gotta, you, there's, there's a way to do it. I don't know if we'll get there today, but there's a way to do that. See, he said, when you do that, when you think right, now you can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? If you're thinking wrong, you have no idea what the will of God is, except the devil comes and condemns you every day for keeping in that habit or doing that thing. Isn't this good so far? See, if I'm going to live a Christian life that's going to give glory to God, the only way I'm going to do that is, is I'm going to have to begin to think His thoughts. His thoughts are His Word. And if I think the thoughts of the Word, and I make that my primary way of thinking, and I'll tell you how to do that eventually, how do I make that my way of thinking? Then I'm going to be able to change, find the will of God, see it performed in my life. But I've got to change the way I think. I like what it says here. He's talking about, he's talking about that, that we need to think soberly. Think soberly. The world is staggering like a drunk man 
believing these thoughts that are coming to them and they're just staggering. And have you ever been around somebody that's drunk? Or you may have already been there yourself. And you're staggering around and you will say things when you're drunk that you would never have said before and they don't make a bit of sense and except to other drunk people. You know, I, I bet we could jump off of this building and it wouldn't hurt anybody. I bet you're right. That's what the world is doing. They're saying, they're claiming, they're calling things. Oh, and it just makes sense to them because they're not sober. They're intoxicated with a way of thinking that is absolutely contrary to everything that God would say. And to them, this is foolishness because their minds are unrenewed. And the scripture says that the carnal mind... Not, not the carnal brain. The carnal mind can't comprehend the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned. And the only way your mind can become spiritual is when you begin to mind the things of the Spirit. Woo, I like that. Every Christian man, woman, boy, and girl needs to begin to learn how to renew their mind. I don't want to be drunk on the world system. I don't want to be rebuking Jesus and, and all that type of thing. We must renew our minds. We must replace thoughts that have been there for generations and replace them with the Word of God. Ephesians 4.23 says this, And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The only way you can renew your mind is one thought at a time. One thought at a time. Oh man. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, several times he said, take no thought. And then finally he said, take no thought saying. Take no thought. Well, Brother Randy, I can't control what thoughts come to my mind. True. But you can control what thoughts you take. Just because a thought comes doesn't mean you have to keep it. Just because a thought comes. I mean, I've had thoughts about, uh, maybe I shouldn't say. I've had thoughts about killing people before. But I didn't have to keep the thought. I didn't have to entertain it. So I've had thoughts about this or that. I don't have to, I've had thoughts about slapping people before. I just want to slap them. And if I keep that thought and I continue to entertain the thought and I begin to practice thinking that way and every time somebody makes me mad, I begin to think that way. At some point, I'm slapping somebody. And it might put me in jail if it's the police officer. See, we need to learn how to change the way we think. Now, we're supposed to renew the spirit of our mind taking no thought. Take no thought. So there, see, Kenneth Hagin said it this way. He said, you can't control the birds that fly over your head. But you can control whether or not they build a nest in your hair. It's up to us to decide what thoughts we're going to take. Do I take the thoughts of the world that disagree with the Word of God? Do I take the thoughts that disagree with what Jesus said so I can rebuke Him? Or do I take the thoughts that come from the Word of God? The only way we're going to have the life of victory and success that we're supposed to have is to begin to think the thoughts of God so we can prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God, right? And so if I'm thinking, if, if I'm thinking about running over the guy that cut me off on the freeway, I can't be thinking about his will. 
Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's not his will to run him over. Amen. And so I have to learn how to think the right thoughts. Now, I'm going to give you a quick insight, and we'll do more. Of the, we'll talk more about this next week. I didn't get nearly as far as I wanted to get. How, how do I stop these thoughts then? What can I do this week to stop the thoughts? Okay, here's how you do it. We're going to try a little experiment. For those of you who have been around me a while, you know I've done this hundreds of times. I want you, to, when, I, when, I, when I say go, I want you to begin to count to ten to yourself. Are you ready? Go. Say your name out loud right now. What happened to your counting? It stopped. Because you stopped your thinking with your word. Whenever you are, when the thought comes, the only way to stop a thought is not with a thought. The only way to stop a thought is with the word. When the thought comes, it says, I feel like slapping them. I need to say out loud, love is patient and kind. Out loud, I'm talking right now. Love is patient and kind. According to, Hebrew, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I would never slap myself. Hebrews 13? No, that, that, that was, uh, first of all, was 1 Corinthians 13. This is in the Gospels. But you have to learn how to think. Stop the thought with your word. No, no. Stop the thought with God's word. Saying what God said can stop the thought that contradicts what He said. And the only way you can stop... You cannot defeat a thought with a thought. You know how it is. Something's going on. Just the pressure of it is on you. And and the thoughts are coming. You're going under. You're not getting out of this. You're not going to escape. This is it. This is terrible. Oh, you're going to... I don't know. Whatever they're telling... Whatever your thoughts are telling you is going to happen to you. And if you, try to, if, you ever, if you try to stop that thinking, it's never going to happen. Because the moment, you st- the moment you start trying to think it, you're going right back to that other thought. The only way to stop it is out loud to say what God said. Jesus said, take no thought saying. You take a thought by saying it. And when you take the thought by saying, I'm telling you, the devil says, you're going under this time. There is no hope for you. This is it. How about this? Oh, shut up for a minute, devil. Listen to this one for a minute. The Bible tells me. Here's what the Bible says to me. It says, I'm going to meditate in the Word of God day and night. I'm going to continually meditate it because if I meditate in the Word, I'll observe to be able to do it. And if I observe to be able to do it, then I will prosper in everything that I do. And if I'm prospering, I can't go under. Joshua 1.8, that's where that found, that's found. But begin to say out loud what God said about you. I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Oh, you're losing on this one. No, no. The Bible says, thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph in Christ. I must win here because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, let the... Now, people think, think this is crazy, but the Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. Which means that let the scared say, I'm not scared. Which means let the poor say, I am rich. 
Because after all, the Bible says you're rich. You see, but you've got to say it. Because you replace every thought with a thought. If you want to replace this stronghold, and I don't have time to get into that part right there, but if you want to replace this stronghold, stronghold is what I hold strong to. If I want to replace this stronghold that's big here, I built it one thought at a time. The only way I can tear it down is one thought at a time, pulling it down one thought at a time. And the way I replace those thoughts is by speaking new ones. Because, and I'll tell you, the more you say what the Bible says, you say it and you say it even if it doesn't look like it's working, because that's going to be the next thought. It's not working. And you say it and you say it and you say it. Eventually, your mind is now transformed. And you don't even have to think a lot about it. The devil comes and he accuses you of this. And you're already ready for it because you've already been doing it. Now those have become your thoughts. Because you spent so much time with it. And you take advantage of him rather than him taking advantage of you. Amen? Tammy's going to be talking to the women about the battlefield of the mind. That is the battlefield. But I'm going to beat her to the punch, and we're going to talk about renewing the mind today and next week. Now, you can't ever get too much of what I'm talking about here. If you're lost, the message to you is be born again. If you're born again, the message to you, renew your mind. It's essential that we renew our minds. Praise God. Woo. Hallelujah. Woo-hoo. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, all right. I didn't get very far here in my outline, but that's all right. We'll get further next week. We're going to talk next week about the engrafted word. And that's really important to what we're talking about, having your mind renewed. Let's pray. Father, today, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the engrafted Word of God. I thank you today, Lord, that the engrafted Word in me is stronger than any thought as long as I will say it out loud. Lord, I thank you for these precious ones in this room. Lord, I make this declaration today. Satan, you're in a heap of trouble now because of these people, because of men and women of God who are willing to change the way we think so that the thoughts and power of God can be made manifest into our lives. Jesus, I believe we receive a manifestation of your glory because, Lord, we choose to have and keep the Word. We choose to change the way we think. Father, I praise you today. I magnify you today. Oh, I give you worship and I give you honor. Would you stand with me for just a moment? Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Oh, we give you praise today. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. 